you're new to Coffee and Cases, welcome. If you are returning, we're so glad you're back. As you all know, our world has been turned upside down, and as bad as Maggie and I hate it, our podcasting world has changed as well. Sadly, sleuthhounds, Maggie and I cannot be together during this time to record for you all, so for the foreseeable future, we are flying solo. While we are being asked to keep our distance from others, to stay inside when possible, and to not gather in large groups, we ask that you bear with us as our podcast changes a little as well. We are keeping faith that all of this will end soon, I hope, and life will slowly start returning to normal. We appreciate you sleuthhounds so much and want to continue to provide you with cases. After all, our goal is continued hope and closure for these cases, and especially in times like these, we want to continue in our small way of helping these families to keep their family member in our hearts and minds. Thank you for bearing with us and for understanding. We care about you. Stay together, united in the human spirit, even if not physically, and stay safe. Now, on to this week's episode. It was 1986. As a seven-year-old child myself, I have two distinct memories, as do likely most Americans. As a Girl Scout, I remember staying up late to catch, for likely the only time in my lifetime, Haley's Comet passed through the night sky, and I was so excited to earn my badge for staying up late enough to see it. The second memory is much more tragic. I can recall my entire second grade classroom buzzing with excitement. We were about to watch a teacher go into outer space. At the time, we all wanted to be astronauts and had dreams of the fun we would have had if our parents were only wealthy enough to send us to space camp. The commercials of the anti-gravity machines were a dream of mine, and this, a teacher, going into the great beyond was about as close as any of us would get. When our own teacher wheeled the television in on the cart, we were all quiet. We counted down along with the CNN announcer at Kennedy Space Center. We cheered at liftoff. Then, barely over a minute later, we saw in terror when that space shuttle exploded and all seven aboard perished. For those in the northwestern part of Kentucky, they would likely add another memory, another terrifying one. They would also likely recall the three and a half week period from June 17th to July 11th, when three young adults disappeared from Owensboro, Kentucky. I mean, one disappearance is hard to make sense of, but three? That invokes dread. This is the story of the 1986 Owensboro mystery that left three families grieving and many others wondering how something like this could happen in a town like theirs.
Welcome to Coffee in Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Before we begin our show today, I want to remind you about our challenge. You guys were so awesome for getting us to our 15 written comment goals so quickly, so we thought we would up the ante. I know we say this each week because it is a lofty goal, so if you're sick of us repeating it, help us meet that goal, you guys. We decided to set our sights high. We did. But we want to get to 150 ratings on iTunes. We currently have 82, so we're creeping up there, but really help get us there, guys. I'd really appreciate it. It only takes a split second if you're listening to us on iTunes to click for that five-star rating. We do realize that this is going to take a little bit longer, as I said, but I'm really looking forward to that bonus episode that Maggie and I have planned for you once we reach that goal. Just make sure that you follow us on social media, Coffee and Cases Podcast on Facebook, or at Coffee Cases Podcast on Instagram, or as always, listen in each week to know when that bonus episode will air. Now, let's really this time get into our show. 16-year-old Shannon Rena Green walked from 2nd Street and Poplar Street to 12th and Haines Street to visit a friend of hers to babysit. Her brown hair brushed her cheek as she walked, and her blue eyes looked steadily forward. It was 12.30 in the afternoon, and she had a 40- to 45-minute walk ahead of her since her friend lived two miles away from Shannon's location. It was July 6th, 1986, and that was the last time Shannon was seen alive. When she didn't return home, Shannon's mother reported her missing on the following day, July 7th. One day later, the Owensboro Police Department got another missing persons report. The second report to come in on July 8th was actually the first disappearance chronologically. It was a report for Mary Angie Dickens, age 23, who was last seen during the early hours of June 17th when two friends drove her home. The last they saw Angie, she was standing outside of her home speaking with two men, one of whom had an older model car. The delay in reporting her missing had to do with the fact that she lived alone and not with her parents, so it actually took longer before anyone realized that they hadn't seen Angie and made a report. Then, three days after that report, yet another young person disappeared. 18-year-old David Dwayne Bell, who was last seen on July 11th. Dwayne's family knew something was wrong when his prized possession, his blue bike, was found abandoned either at his house or at his sister's house, reports Ferry. Information that didn't vary was that the three who disappeared ran in the same circles 
knew the same people. Especially with the number of and the timing of the disappearances, the police believed that the three were likely connected. As we see with a lot of teen disappearances, the initial conclusion is that the teen has run away of his or her own accord. Initially adding credence to this theory, a few days after the 16-year-old Shannon Green disappeared, a call came in to Shannon's mom. The person on the other end identified himself as Dwayne, as in potentially the 18-year-old, right? The 18-year-old teen who was also missing. The caller said that he and Shannon loved each other very much and were running away to get married. But Shannon's uncle, Ray Scara, told reporters for an article published on August 27, 2005, that the family never believed that theory and said Shannon would never have voluntarily left her family like that. Besides, Shannon was a student at Owensboro High School where she made amazing grades and she had a steady boyfriend. Nothing in her life would indicate someone was something to run away from. Law enforcement now also believed that the phone call that her family received was not legitimate and was merely an attempt to throw the investigators off track. But because of that phone call, Dwayne Bell's family paid careful attention to the investigation surrounding Shannon Green, hoping by association to find out something about where their son might be. Likewise, Dwayne's sister, Nani Henderson, told the same reporter, quote, he loved his family and his family loved him. We're hoping that maybe we'll find closure for all of us, end quote. Police began to wonder, did Dwayne have knowledge of what happened to Shannon or to Angie and was now missing as well because he knew too much? Police pieced together another testimony that Dwayne and Shannon had both been at a mutual friend's home on the day before Shannon disappeared. When, in October 1986, the remains of 23-year-old Angie Dickens were found in a cornfield, everyone began to question, would we find the bodies of the other two as well? Due to the condition of Angie's body, the cause of death could not be determined, but as you can imagine, the hope for the fate of the other two missing, Shannon and Dwayne, grew grim as well. Could they have all been murdered? Who would be capable of such a crime? The list of suspects quickly narrowed until there was only one, an acquaintance of Angie's, a friend of Dwayne's, and the very friend whose house Shannon was walking to the last day she was seen, a man by the name of John Rainier. The police seemed convinced. After all, they cited the fact that Rainier had murdered before. He was a registered sex offender. County Sheriff Keith Kane also said of Rainier that he had, quote, been a suspect in a number of felony offenses, and he found himself running afoul of the law pretty much all of his life, end quote. He seemed the most likely suspect. If you, my sleuth hounds, have ever seen the movie Ma, that is exactly what came to my mind when I read the research for this cold case. 
According to one article I read, Rainier's son was around the same age as Shannon and Dwayne, and all the kids would gather at John Rainier's house to drink and to party. Dwayne and his father, David Bell, would have trusted Rainier as well, since they also both worked for him. And I will go ahead and tell you, Sleuth Hounds, quite a a few of the quotes that I'm going to give in this week's episode come from Stephanie Sylvie. Many of the articles that I read seem to indicate that she was the best acquainted with this particular case. Well, in an article by reporter Stephanie Sylvie, Sheriff Kane stated the following, quote, So when an individual like that has known connections to all three of the victims... Some of those connections, in at least two of the cases, were very, very close. I think the investigators would have been negligent if they had not pursued that potential lead. I can tell you this definitively. He was capable of doing any one of the three, if not all three at the same time. Very capable. And I think he'll tell you that. End quote. What if Rainier took a liking to Shannon? What if he hurt her or Angie or Dwayne intentionally or unintentionally? What if any of the others saw it happen? Those are the hypotheticals the police were dwelling on. But I have another question. What if they were wrong? Rainier had continually maintained his innocence from 1986 until most of the interviews that I read over 20 years later. When in 2005 there was renewed interest in the case, investigators began searching in earnest again for Shannon Green's body, believing it to be buried in a field near the railroad tracks off of Kentucky 279 a spot less than two miles from where a hunter had located Angie Dickens's body. When reporter Stephanie Sylvie contacted Rainier for a comment in 2005, Rainier's story had not changed, that he had nothing to do with the disappearances. But this time, reporter Stephanie Sylvie also heard a bombshell. Rainier said that he knew who was responsible. Rainier told Sylvie something even more important, that there was proof. He stated that back in 1986, he had given police a tape. He had secretly recorded a conversation with Dwayne Bell only a few days before Dwayne disappeared. Per Rainier, the tape contained a conversation in which Dwayne Bell confessed to killing several people and to strangling Shannon specifically. He then said that Bell had taken him to the places where Shannon Green and Angie Dickens had been disposed. And in this conversation, Rainier stated that Dwayne Bell also implicated his own father, David Bell, in Shannon Green's death as well. And here's the thing, my sleuth hounds. There is documentation in police records that a tape 
was submitted to police as evidence. The problem? It was never saved. The documentation of it wasn't even discovered in police notes until the renewed interest in 2005. Rainier even admitted to both police at the time and to the reporter in 2005 that he had full intention of killing Dwayne and David Bell because of that confession of killing Shannon, but that Rainier never got the chance because Dwayne disappeared and his father, David, moved to Arizona soon after his son's disappearance. I will say, in my mind at least, if you were guilty of a murder, I would think that the last thing you would want to do is to admit to wanting to murder someone else. The fact that Rainier admits that he wanted to kill Dwayne and David and had intentions to kill them, as ironic as it, this, is, this comment is going to seem, it actually makes me feel like he is innocent in the murders of Angie, Shannon, and Dwayne. And while I realize that this doesn't prove honesty, Rainier did pass a polygraph when asked about the role he played in Shannon and Dwayne's disappearances. At the same time, it does seem odd to me that Rainier would record this particular conversation with Dwayne Bell, the very one that just happens to contain his confession. And that tape eventually surfaced. So if Rainier is innocent, how does he explain why Shannon was headed to his house on the day she disappeared? He told Stephanie Sylvie, quote, I told her we were having a barbecue down at my mother's and I wouldn't be there. And she said maybe she would come by or call back later that night. She thought she would get out and move around a little bit and thought she would come over to Dwayne's, end quote. Rainier felt like the investigation went off track before it began. Not because he became a lead suspect, but because of the way the inquiry was framed. Quote, no one set out to find what happened to Shannon. They set out to find what I did to Shannon. There's a big difference. End quote. The problem with our ability to come to any sort of consensus is that this has ended up being just a big version of the blame game. That's why I called this episode the Owensboro Mystery. There's no clear path. There's no clear answer. The accusations fly, and there's no evidence to prove any of them. Some may argue that the existence of the tape proves Rainier's innocence. However, several members of Dwayne's family refused to acknowledge that the voice on the tape was, in fact, Dwayne's. What's more, David Bell, Dwayne's father, says that the current tape in police custody is not the same tape he heard back in 1986. And David Bell feels like this new tape was doctored. 
As cited in the article, 14 News Investigates Killer Confession, the taped conversation goes like this, and what I'm getting ready to read to you, Sleuth Hounds, is verbatim from the article other than the curse words, which I will alter. Rainier, what's going on? Dwayne, on nothing. Got any money I can borrow? Rainier, how much? I might have a few dollars. Dwayne, about a couple hundred anyway. Rainier, I ain't got no $200. I wish I did have. Dwayne, I need it pretty bad. I need to get out of town. Rainier, why's that? Dwayne, I done something the other day. I need to get out of town for a while. Me and her been into it for a while, and I just got mad. Rainier, did you beat her up? Dwayne, yeah. Rainier, that's the other day. Apparently she ain't gonna tell on you or you'd done be in trouble. Dwayne, it's worse than that. I mean, I hurt her real bad. Hurt some others too. I need to get out of town pretty bad. Rainier, who all did you hurt? Dwayne, it's a girl and a kid. Rainier, a kid? Dwayne, yeah. Rainier, hadn't nobody called the police on you yet? Dwayne, nah, there's another girl. I hurt her pretty bad too. Rainier, well, how come ain't nobody gone to the police on you? What are you trying to do? Just get a hold of a little money? Trying to talk me out of it? Dwayne, no, no, I'm telling you the truth. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. They can't go to the police. Rainier, why can't they? Dwayne, because I killed one of... I killed them. Rainier, where did you kill them at? How come there ain't no bodies showed up or nothing? Dwayne, well, I hid them pretty good. Rainier, you hid them good? Dwayne, yeah. Rainier, hid them where? You ain't going to tell me where you hid them? I don't blame you. I wouldn't tell either. Dwayne, I put them in a cornfield. Rainier, man, you're scary. If you're telling the truth, I don't know what to tell you. If you're lying, I don't know about no lie like that either. I don't want to be involved in it. How come you come to me with this anyway? Dwayne, I don't know. I needed some money. End quote. Rainier then admits that he threatened Dwayne that he wanted to see if Dwayne were lying. He said that Dwayne had better show him where the bodies were or else he would leave Dwayne's body in a cornfield. Upon the threat, Rainier says that Dwayne not only took him to the bodies, but also described in detail how both Shannon and Angie were killed and admitted that his father had helped him. It was the way Dwayne responded that led Rainier to believe him. He said that Dwayne knew how mad he would be about Shannon's death, so he reasoned if Dwayne were going to lie, wouldn't he have said that his father David made him kill Shannon and the others? But he didn't. Just that his father helped him. That's why Rainier believed what Dwayne said. Not being a man who backs away from confrontation and knowing Dwayne's father, David, himself, Rainier says he played the tape for David Bell, who basically blew it off. 
That same article, 14 News Investigates Killer Confession, had this to say, quote, He was looking out over the steering wheel when the tape ended, and he cut his eyes over to me, and he said, Is that all he had to say? And I, Rainier in this instance, said, What are you talking about? Don't you think that's enough? He says he killed four people. He, David Bell, said, You're right, that's enough. I need to go find Dwayne and talk to him. Rainier says he never saw Dwayne again. End quote. Even the officers found it odd that within days of his son going missing, David Bell left for Arizona, and it took Dwayne's mother longer than a week to report him missing. As a seeming follow-up to the reported conversation between Rainier and David Bell, David Bell said in one of his last interrogations with police that the day before Dwayne went missing, it was just like a normal day during which he and his son had worked side by side. David Bell said, quote, I asked him if he had a problem that I could help him with, and he said no. End quote. And then he stated that he saw Dwayne ride off on his bike away from his sister's house. Now, if you recall, Dwayne's bike was found abandoned, either at his own house, in which case his father David would have seen it, or at his sister's house, in which case his father wouldn't have really seen him riding away on it. But David Bell, just like Rainier, maintains his own innocence as well. And he states that he went to Arizona so soon after because he honestly felt like Dwayne had merely run away of his own volition. He argues that Rainier had something to do with Shannon's disappearance and that his son Dwayne knew too much and was a loose end. If the original tape had valid evidence, David reasons, and were really the voice of his son, why was his son not arrested before disappearing himself? It's this back and forth between Rainier and Bell that was recorded directly by Stephanie Sylvie and her article, Stephanie Sylvie Investigates, The Other Side. In her interview with David Bell, he recalls Rainier's claims and he calls them, quote, outrageous, and says he should, quote, be in the movies, end quote, because of his dramatics. And according to Sylvie, it angers David that his son would be portrayed as a monster. David Bell even admits to Sylvie that he heard a tape, just not the one currently in police custody. The following is the conversation between Sylvie and David Bell in her article. And this is a long quote. Bell. The tapes that I heard, Johnny called me the night that Dwayne disappeared, and the tape I heard stated on it, and I don't know what conditions it was under, that Dwayne sounded like Dwayne, said, I hit Shannon. And that was all the tape was that I was played. Stephanie Sylvie. He didn't say, you need to take care of this, or David Bell, no. Sylvie. He just called you up and said, hi, I need you to hear this, and then talk to you later? David Bell. Well, no, 
I'm sure I said, well, I'm going to talk to him. And he said, well, you probably need to. And so I went. Sylvie, but you never found him? David Bell, no. Sylvie, did you tell police about the tape you heard? David Bell, no. Sylvie, why? Bell, well, for two reasons. One was because I didn't want my son being portrayed as a murderer, and the other is because I might get in trouble for knowing about it. But Bell said the tape he heard back then isn't the same tape police have now. Bell, did, did anywhere on that tape, did it state that he hit Shannon? Sylvie, it talked about him beating her up. Yeah, it did. David Bell, no, that's not what it said. He said, I hit Shannon. That was the exact words. It's not the same tape, and it's not my son. I'm telling you, his mother agrees with me, and so does his sister, end quote. Because several other family members told police it was Dwayne's voice, police wonder to what extent his parents would be likely to protect Dwayne or David, who Rainier argues killed his son to protect himself. But to me, it's that part of Rainier's argument that takes it too far for me to believe. Parents often go to great extents to protect their children, but to kill your child to protect yourself? That, I wouldn't think, is a step many parents would take. Both men, Rainier and David Bell, argue that they're telling the truth. Both maintain their innocence, but unfortunately in this world, innocence is a rare commodity. And just when it looks like we can cheer for justice, we realize that truth and deceit are indistinguishable. And we're right back to the drawing board. When we don't know who to trust, perhaps it's easier to doubt both. At least, that seems to be the current consensus. According to the Charlie Project's entry for Dwayne Bell, Rainier is still suspected to have been complicit in Shannon Green's disappearance, but David Bell is also noted to have conflicting accounts concerning his own son's disappearance. Given the suspicion of guilt, Rainier asked an interesting question in an interview with Stephanie Sylvie, quote, Here's what I've consistently said over all the years. Out of every interview they took and all the evidence they have, if there is one shred or even one hint of evidence that I did it, then where's it at for Pete's sake? End quote. Her response in a separate article, My Sleuth Hounds, is what tangles the web, though. In an article from November 3rd, 2005, Sylvie confronted Rainier with the following dilemma. Quote, Do you understand, though, why it looks strange that there's this tape that's been here for virtually 20 years that has a guy confessing to killing four people and the police say they don't remember that tape? It seems like that's a tape that would stick in your mind. It's a tape law enforcement swore didn't exist. But 20 years later, it resurfaced. End quote. So which is the lie, my sleuth hounds? Which is the truth?
If you have any information about any of these cases, Angie Dickens, Shannon Green, or Dwayne Bell, please contact the Owensboro Police Department at 270-687-8888. In 2005, when investigators began again to look for Shannon Green's body, her uncle, Randy Scarra, said, quote, It's been long enough, and I think the good Lord might let us know something, end quote. That was 15 years ago. My prayer is that someone listening knows someone who has insight into any or all of these cases so that Skara and all of the families, including Rainier and David Bell, can find closure soon. Even though 1986 brought tragedy to many and particularly poignant tragedy to Owensboro and the families who reside there, I hope that despite the negative in so many lives so far in 2020, we can all continue to help others, to pray with them and for them, to show kindness and gratitude, and to do our small part to help those most in need to finally find peace. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer ba-da-ba-ba-ba